In the previous installment of Jimmy Fiction, Jimmy Dean Keen had been developing his taste in music and had started obsessively listening to The Cure. So this installment opens with his best friend, Professor Cole Bowden, presenting Jimmy with a mixtape. It's a CD. Oh. Oh, what's this? Look at the front. On the disc's plastic case, as well as written on the disc itself, are the words, Mixtape, March 1999. Oh. Well, I mean, what's on it? You're going to have to listen. Uh, okay. All right, then. I guess that's fair. Cole had known that Jimmy needed to take a drive out to Iberia Parish, where his father and his stepmother live, in order to pick up window blinds and other things that they had in storage at their home. So this drive is the perfect opportunity for him to do just that. So the day of, he goes out to the car, holding the stereo system in his hands, At some point, he had realized, especially given his tendency to forget to put the top up on his car, that he was going to get his stereo stolen straight out of his dashboard. So he would just pop it out and take it into the house with him every time. He found that easier to remember than he did putting the top up. Now he can remember to do both, just to be on the safe side. So he pops the CD player radio into the dash of his nice Mercedes convertible, puts the top down, puts his sunglasses on, and starts driving west out into Bayou Country. He'd set out fairly early in the day, so he had plenty of time to get there. And along the way, he picks up a cup of coffee, then parks someplace for a minute, sits on the hood of his car, and listens to this mixtape. It starts out pretty strong. How many special people change? How many lives are living strange? Where were you while we were getting high? Yeah, that's right. He knows me. In Jimmy's opinion, this is perfect driving music. So after he's been looking at body of water, Spanish moss hanging from some oak trees, birds coming and going, drinking his coffee, he gets back into his car, starts the track over, and driving out into the verdant floodplains of Louisiana. He cranks the volume a bit, 
rest of the songs make him just about as happy as the first. not the mixtape he would have made for himself, but while he's driving, singing along to these songs, spacing out a little bit, Jimmy's also thinking about his time in Angola prison, where he earned the yard name El Guapo Loco. This had come because Jimmy had a certain way about him that even though nobody wanted to fuck with him for racial matters, they just didn't want to fuck with him at all. Jimmy's philosophy upon entering the prison was, okay, if I was going to be in here forever, I would probably have to acquiesce to certain pressures in order to get by, but I don't. I just got to figure out how to survive long enough to get out of here. So he didn't want to just start enacting his shit against absolutely anyone, so he'd kind of pick the biggest asshole in the room beat the shit out of them if he knew he could win. Easy peasy, no problem. And after the first time, he just went ham and wailed on another dude's face over something minor, which in the miniseries Blackbird was about the television. People really didn't want to bother with that. And by the second time, they really wanted nothing to do with it. The Black Panthers knew he wasn't going to come at them over racial differences. So they would just metaphorically pop popcorn, wait for him to go off again and spectate. The Latin kings were like, we don't want to get in trouble because you can't control yourself, so we don't want nothing to do with that. And the Asian gangs would just pretend they didn't speak English whenever he walked by. Which all suited Jimmy just fine. Yeah, that's right. Don't bother me, and I won't bother you. God's fucking peace and quiet. But every once in a while, someone, regardless of race, would start to think he was real bad. Maybe he could fuck with Jimmy. One such time, a dude decided to wait in a blind spot in the prison that was kind of concealed from eyeline of corrections officers or security cameras, planning to jump him and then do whatever. But Jimmy had good instincts and kind of always knew to keep his back up. So Jimmy walked into the ambush. Other dude leapt on him, started trying to throw down. And although Jimmy's not a big guy, he's pretty strong, so he just fought like a cornered weasel. Went low, smashed his shoulder into the dude's midsection, 
punched him in the face a couple times and got him on the ground and just sat on him and started punching the shit out of him. He lays a couple blows just to make sure the dude is really down for the count. But then he feels himself just continuing and has to reel himself in like, shit, dude. Gets a couple more in there anyway. The adrenaline rush was so strong that he basically can't hear anything except his own pulse in his head. But then he hears this, realizes it's his fist hitting this dude's face. And there was this kind of strangled screaming that he realizes coming from his attacker. Some part of him is kind of dissociated from it all and realizes that he's attracting an audience. Other prisoners showing up at first wanting to help. Like, oh shit, we don't want to see Jimmy get... Oh wait, no. No, he's good. He's good. We're, um... Never mind. Gonna let him go. Doesn't need anybody to intervene on his behalf. So Jimmy's able to reel himself in, disengage. The other guy is uh, still alive, but definitely worse for the wear. Not trying to fight back any longer. And although it felt like it took a million years in Jimmy's mind, it happened quickly enough that by the time he emerges victorious, stands up, starts walking away in the other direction, smiling a little bit like, yeah, live to fight another day. The guards are on him. One of them tackles him. What the fuck? Break it up, break it up. They drag him to the hole, but he's grinning the whole way. He doesn't resist. He just lets a guard carry him, one under each arm, and then a third guard carrying both of his feet. They're looking at him like, uh, the fuck is up with you? He's kind of limp, like a rag doll. I just gotta underscore the fact that you don't fuck with me. Every once in a while, a guy thinks he can fuck with me. And I just gotta remind him that that's a bad idea. So, in the future... Most of the rest of the time, dudes don't fuck with me. What the fuck? You're self-aware. Oh, how the hell are you in here? At that point, he wasn't quite sassy enough to reply, because I ain't that smart. But all this time later, cruising in his car, he thinks back to what people had told him. Prisons are full of dumb criminals, because only stupid criminals get caught. One of the people who had given him this sage advice was Pop Shanfrilia, the disturbing child predator who was also incarcerated and had been appraising Jimmy from the moment he arrived at the prison, had approached him early on. Psst. Jimmy. It's Jimmy, right? Uh, it's James? Yeah, so, you new here. And that means you're fresh meat. So, I got a deal for you. You'll be my bitch. And I'll make sure nobody else fucks with you. Jimmy needs approximately one hot second to think about this. Mm, nah. You know, I appreciate that. But, I think I'm good. I'm gonna look out for myself. Okay.
But then after seeing Jimmy beat the living shit out of another guy and win for the third time, Pops is like, you know what? I like this kid. More than I even anticipated that I would. So then after Jimmy's release from the hole, the next time he's working out in the yard, Pops is (laughs) watching him. Jimmy notices, but eh, let him look. As long as that's all he's doing. Pops approaches him afterwards. Psst, Jimmy. I just want to let you know. I got nothing but respect for you. That's some mad cojones on you, kid. Smacks Jimmy on the shoulder. Jimmy's kind of like, don't fucking touch me. (laughs) He's not ready to start a fight over this yet. Yeah. Uh. Thanks, Pops. Guy gotta do what a guy gotta do in here. But no more than that. You know? Hey. You gotta smoke? I I don't smoke. Alright. Well, let me give you the lowdown on this guard. I... Because I think that he's probably gonna be a bigger problem to you than anybody else who's locked up in here with us, Okay. Okay, alright, yeah, I'm all ears. Okay, it's Carter. Piece of shit. We all call him Chester the Molester. Never want to find yourself alone with Carter, okay? Don't trust a word comes out of his fucking mouth. Never let him in your fucking cell, okay? He's gonna try to get in there anyway, but you never let him get between you and the door. Oh yeah, alright. Yeah, I might have been picking up on that a bit. Yeah, all right. You're not that dumb. Hey, if you say so. So, the next time Jimmy's in the commissary, he's got his little bit of money that he's been earning from punching license plates, mowing the lawn at the warden's house and stuff, he decides to pick up a pack of cigarettes. The next time he's out in the yard and Pops is watching, Jimmy approaches him afterwards. Hey. Pops, you need a smoke? He produces the pack of smokes, and Pops immediately understands that Jimmy understands he's a material girl. Jimmy understands that every interaction with Pops is transactional. Pops is looking out for him, so he's going to reward Pops. I want to stay on this guy's good side. I definitely don't want to get on his bad side. But I don't want to give him a piece of my ass either, so how about I just toss him a pack of smokes here and again and, uh, at minimum, keep him placated. Maybe he'll even keep giving me information. And that was exactly good enough for Pops. They formed an implicit understanding. And this also benefited Jimmy's agenda because the other prisoners saw him befriending Pops the kitty diddler and purported child cannibal, and Larry Hall, the serial killer, two of the scariest motherfuckers on the cell block. But then he also befriended one of the most benevolent people in the prison, named Lucius Morningstar, a.k.a. Lucius Mortimer, who was close with visiting law and ethics professor Cole Bowden, so nobody knew what Jimmy's deal even was. They didn't want to find out. 
and Jimmy was more than happy to keep it that way. So on his drive, he surfaces from this little reverie in time to discover Cole Bowden has dropped pictures of you into approximately the middle of the mixtape, and he ends up hitting repeat, play it twice, and that eats up a quarter of his total travel time. Just about perfect. Perfect. 